message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. us recently you'll know that we're working our way through the gospel of Luke and uh, we've got to chapter 4 we'll read the first 15 verses together so Luke chapter 4 verse 1 Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Okay, so in the passage we've got before us this morning, Luke recalls the temptation of Jesus uh, by the devil. And it seems to occur shortly after Jesus was baptised. You'll know we looked at that uh, a week or two ago. And actually that's not unusual. We've talked already about baptism this morning, haven't we? And it often seems that when people are baptised, following that, it's not unusual to have a time of testing or particularly intense temptation. It's like baptism makes us stand publicly, doesn't it? You identify yourselves as followers of Jesus when you're baptised. And uh, so that was true for Jesus uh, as well. Once he'd been baptised, it was a public uh, declaration of who he was. He was God's son. And now the devil comes to him and brings these temptations to him that we've just just read. Interesting, isn't it? After a public stand, that's when it gets tough. It was true for Jesus. And actually, it's true for you and I as well. Why? Well, the reality is we're in a war. We sometimes don't realise it, uh, but we're in a war. My cousin bought me a book for my birthday, which I haven't read yet, but I've flipped through it, uh, called Faith Under Fire, uh, about uh, the church in Baghdad. And uh, Canon Andrew White, I think, is the, is the guy's name who's written it. And uh, for them, they're literally a church under fire, and in a war, in a war zone, they have been. But... For you and I, sometimes we can think, oh, we're not really in a war. But actually, the truth is we are. We're in a war, and we're right in the middle of it. And you see, a Christian who isn't actively following Jesus isn't much of a threat. You know, a Christian who is a Christian in name only and doesn't really do anything about it 
isn't much of a threat to the devil and his kingdom. However, a praying Christian who is actively following Jesus, being obedient to him, who is full of the Holy Spirit, well, there's a threat. There's a threat. And that's why the devil came to Jesus to tempt him. That's why he comes to you and I to tempt us as well. And you can read this and you might think that these tests were unique to Jesus. Well, there were part of them that were unique to him because of who he is. But actually, they're the same sort of tests that the devil will throw in your direction and mine. And so, I'm trusting this morning as we look at this together, then we'll learn some things from what Jesus did that we can apply to us as well. Does that sound good? Is that going to be helpful? So let's pray and then we'll get into this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray now that as we look at it together in these moments, we pray, oh God, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, please would you come and be our teacher. Would you help us not only to understand what we've read, but Lord, would you apply it to our lives. We open ourselves up to you, Lord, to come and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bible there, you can follow it through uh, as we go. And we'll look at the the first test here in verses 3 and 4. So the devil comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you are, if, 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 is what the devil is saying to him. He's trying to put doubt into Jesus' mind. I can imagine the devil saying it with a bit of a sneer, can't you? If you are the Son of God, then do this. And it seems that Satan is tempting Jesus to, to abuse the power that he has. Now, if you are the Son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. And it's true, he was tempting Jesus to do that. Let's face it, Jesus had been fasting and not eating for 40 days. He would have been hungry. Any of us would have been hungry after that point. And so the devil comes to him in an area where potentially he could be weak. He would have known that Jesus would have been tired probably. He would have been hungry. So the devil comes to him and tempts in an area where he thinks that there may be a weakness, maybe a vulnerability, maybe a chink, maybe a hole that he can get through. Satan knows your weaknesses as well. It wasn't just that he came to Jesus thinking, well, he's going to be hungry, I can throw this one at him. But actually, for you and I, he knows where we're weak as well. Satan knew where Jesus might have been weak, he wasn't, but he threw a temptation in an area where he thought, well, maybe I can get in there. And the same is true for you and I. Satan knows where you're vulnerable. He knows where your weaknesses are. He knows what sort of temptation is just the right sort of fit for you. And if you're naive about it, then he'll know more about your weaknesses than you will. So I don't want to big him up this morning because actually it's all about Jesus and his power and his glory. But let's be wise. Let's be wise about this and recognise that if, you, if there's an area that for you could be a weakness or a vulnerability, then, you know, then the devil knows about it and will probably throw temptation to you in that direction, trying to get in there. 
But actually Satan is doing far more than tempting Jesus to call down a heavenly Burger King and to satisfy his, his need for some food. Actually there's much more going on here. He's getting Jesus to, he's trying to get Jesus to doubt what God has said. If you are the Son of God, said in a sneering voice, he's trying to put doubts in Jesus' mind, isn't he? Has God really said? Did God really promise? If you are the Son of God, have you maybe thought about this? Actually, interestingly, it's the same temptation that the devil used in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, verse 1. Did God really say? It's the same sort of temptation that he's throwing in Jesus' direction. And Satan hasn't really changed much. It's the same old temptations that he used in the Garden of Eden, that he used with Jesus, and actually he uses with you and me as well. Maybe they're packaged a bit differently, but actually the root of them is exactly the same. So how did Jesus respond? What was the way out for him? What did he do about it when Satan came to him and tempted him? Well, clearly we can see it here. What did Jesus do in verse 4? He responded with scripture. It is written, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone. Immediately Jesus came back knowing the scriptures and being able to use them in a time where he was being tempted. So for Jesus, he'd been fasting, he was probably hungry, so the devil thought, I'll see if I can get in there. Well, he didn't. Well, he couldn't. But what is it for you? Where might Satan come to you, to tempt you? So if you've got a problem with uh, food, then he may tempt you to eat too much, or maybe not eat enough. If you've got a problem with alcohol, then he's going to tempt you to drink far too much. And that may be an area where you could be vulnerable. If you've got a problem with lust, then it's probably pornography. Or maybe it'd be an attractive new work colleague that turns up in the office one Monday morning. If you've got a poor self-image, then maybe Satan will throw a relationship in your direction that could be very unhealthy and very unhelpful to you. What is it for you? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's shopping. And if that's, a, that's an, if that's an area for you and you just can't resist the new clothes as you walk past the shop, maybe a new credit card is not a good idea. What is it for you? Where might there be a weakness that Satan could try and get in on? Let's be clear. Temptation is not a sin. Okay, being tempted is not sinful. Jesus was tempted, he did not sin. Let's be very, very clear about the distinction here. So temptation of of itself is not sinful. The issue is what you do with it when it comes. And it will come. If if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure it has really, well, I can promise you one thing, it will. And it will probably come where you least expect it. And you're not looking for it. So Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. So for you, just think about it for a moment, where might your point of weakness be? Where might you be vulnerable? Where might you think, well, you know what, this is where I'd attack me. me." Where might you try and get in? You see, you should know where your weakness is and cover it. 
pray about it and make wise choices in advance. So you can do that, can't you? You can make wise choices in advance. You can be sensible about things. You can, in advance, choose to make a godly response to temptation when it comes. So I remember when, uh, when I first left home and uh, moved for, to Bedford for a year, uh, I've been living with my parents and uh, I moved home, had a house of my own for the first time and uh, had cable telly in the area. So, you know, you get the cable box, turns up, plug it in, turn it on. I'm just scrolling through all these channels. And I discover there's a whole load of channels that would be very, very unhelpful for me to watch. You can probably imagine the sort of things that would be on them. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not going to help me. So, in advance, I think I need to make some wise choices now. So, I'm going through, delete, 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 lock it out, lock it out, get rid of it. So, that when I come home, late of an evening, had a tiring day at work, get in, slob in front of the telly, I know as I scroll through, I'm not going to hit stuff that's going to be unhelpful and tempting. Why? Because I'm just making wise choices in advance. I'm thinking, much better to do it when I'm in a good frame of mind and I want to live a godly lifestyle than at a time where I might be weak. You can make wise choices like that in advance. You could do it now. So what are the choices that you need to make? What wise choices could you make in advance for you? And also, what are the lies that Satan whispers in your ear? For Jesus, he was saying, if you are the Son of God... What lies would Satan whisper to you? What's he getting you to try and doubt? Has God really said? What's he trying to get you to, to not believe? It's one, one reason why it's important to write down what God has said. I'm write it down. I remember one of my uh, first Bibles. Uh, I used to highlight stuff in it. I'd go through, underline things and, and highlight it and write notes on it. Cause I, oh, God has spoken something here. He's spoken it to me. And I'll be highlighting it and underlining it. Whatever works for you, do it. What has God said to you, both from Scripture but also prophetically? What, God, what has God spoken to you? So you write it down because in the moments where you could be tempted to doubt it, that's when you think, oh, did God really say it or maybe I got it wrong? Listen, if you can go back to where you've written it down, underlined it, highlighted it, you think, no, God did really say. It says in God's word. What did Jesus say? It is written. He came back to scripture time and time again. So what does God say to you in scripture? What does he say about you in scripture? Do you know what God says about you? How would God describe you? What would he, might he say about you? He would say things like, he loves you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you so that he can have a relationship with you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants you to be part and connected into a community that love him and love one another. What things has God said to you? Friends, write it down. Underline it. Highlight it. So that when Satan comes to you and says, does God really say? You can say, you know what? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So that's the first test. The second test we see in a few verses later. The devil comes to him again, leads him to a high place and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and says to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor if you worship me. This is a test of worship and power. That's what's going on here. That's what it's about. 
Satan wanted Jesus to bow down and worship him. But Jesus was very clear. would have been completely wrong. What did Jesus do? Verse 8 comes back to him. It is written. There we go again. Notice his scripture. It is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus is very, very clear. Satan offered Jesus power and authority, but it was only limited. It was only temporary. He had to worship Satan to get it, and it would have been sinful and wrong. You see, Satan's power and authority is only temporary and is only limited. I thought I might get an amen there. (laughs) Satan's power is only limited and only temporary. See, when Jesus returns again, Satan will be dealt with finally. No more power, no more authority that he has. It'll all go. Jesus will reign supreme. No more suffering, no more sickness, no more pain. Jesus on the throne. Hallelujah. So Satan was offering him something temporary and it would have been sinful. Jesus again came back with scripture to rebuff it. But it's a question of worship, you see. What do you worship? What do you worship? If you're a Christian, I guess you'd say, well, of course I worship Jesus. I worship God and him alone. Okay, let me ask you a different question. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? What consumes your thoughts? Is it the Lord? Or is it other things? What does your energy go on? You see, your bank statements and your diary are more revealing about what you worship than where you are on a Sunday morning. Your bank statement and your diary are more revealing about what you worship than where you are on a Sunday morning. You see, worship is to do with life, isn't it? It's not just what you do for a couple of hours on a Sunday and an hour or two midweek in a small group. It's about your life. It's about how you live your life, how God is at the very centre of it and how everything you do is worship to him. So what do you worship? It's been said, hasn't it? You become what you worship. So what are you worshipping? Is Jesus at the very centre? Are you becoming more like him? Or have other things got in the way? The third test, let's keep going. There's another, if you are, temptation. So verse, uh, verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. It's another, if you are, temptation that the devil sends his way. If you are the Son of God, then you can do this. And then to try and add weight to his temptation, notice what he does? Satan quotes scripture at him. You've got the devil quoting scripture to Jesus. He says, he's written. You can can do this. He'll command his angels to, to look after you. Satan misquoted scripture. Let's be clear about this. He took it out of context misquoted it at Jesus, trying to get him to sin. Jesus knew his Bible. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. So he was able to come straight back and call to mind verses that would help him in this moment. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
You see, you need to be able to do that. That's why knowing your Bible is so important. You need to know what it says. Know for God to help you in these sort of moments. But the scary thing is that Satan knows his Bible better than many Christians. It's true. He knows what it says. He knows how to twist it and misapply it and take it out of context and try and use verses to get you to sin. What did Jesus do? Well, he knew what it really said. And he was able to come back with scripture in context, the right way, knowing what God had really said. Can you do that, friends? Do you know what this book really says? Do you know what God says in it? See, Satan knows how to misuse it. You need to know how to use it wisely. It's like a sword that you need to learn how to use wisely. When I was a, uh, a kid and a, and a young teenager, I remember in Sunday school we used to have a sort of a, a competition to try and find Bible verses quickly. And I mean, it would be, oh, can, I, can I still do it? I haven't practiced this. It would be something like, is it um, sheathe your sword? You put it in there, and it's draw your sword, and it was go. You know, you'd try to find the verse. And it was a game, and it was fun, and we enjoyed it as kids. But the point was this. This book is like a sword. You need to know how to use it. See, if you hadn't had any training, if I gave you a, a, you know, a big metal sword, it probably wouldn't be much good in your hands. It might be quite heavy for you. You wouldn't know quite how to, how to use it. And if an enemy came to you, you might still be struggling with you know, how best to hold it to whack their head off. Having the sword in and of itself isn't enough. You need to know how to use it. Having this book on your shelf isn't enough. You need to read it and know what it says and know what God says. So that when Satan comes to you, and he will, and say, oh, you can do this. Or the Bible says that, doesn't it? And has God really said, you can say, I know what God said. I know what this book says. I know what the right way to live is. And you can respond appropriately. So how did Jesus respond? Well, just as before, he responded with scripture and used it correctly. Jesus said, it is written. Billy Graham's famous quote is, the Bible says. If you ever heard him preach, you'd have heard that phrase countless times. The Bible says. Friends, we need to be reading it, understanding it. And as you do that, you meet God. Jesus reveals himself to you through his words. Do you know what the Bible says? Are you reading it? Are you allowing God to speak to you? So that's what happens in um, this passage here when Satan tempts Jesus. Before we finish, let's round up with some practical things here. How do you deal with temptation? How do you deal with temptation? If you're making notes, you might want to write some of these headings down. We've seen what Jesus did. What do you do? How do you deal with temptation? Number one, know what God has said about you in Scripture. Know what God has said. Write it down. Highlight it. Underline it. Memorize it. Stick it on the mirror, on the fridge, on a post-it note. Whatever works for you. But know what God has said. Know the truth of this book, number one. Number two, this is a verse to remember. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a good promise, isn't it? So what does that say? Well, it says, firstly, that it's the same sort of temptations that the devil uses time and time again. Different packaging, but it's the same root. It tells us this, God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. So you might think, I can't stand it. It's too much. I've got to give in. No, you haven't. You haven't got to give in. Because God knows how much you can take. And he's promised that you won't have to take too much. So he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And then it goes on and says this, when you are tempted, notice that, not if, (laughs) when, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So it's, the, you know, it's guaranteed you're going to be tempted, but the guarantee is this also, God will provide a way out. It's equally guaranteed. So look for that way out. Look to what God is saying. Look to the way out from the temptation that has come to you. Because God is faithful and he'll provide it for you. Number three. Number three, don't play with temptation. Don't play with it. Don't even play with the idea of it. Don't let it entertain. Don't entertain it for a second in your mind. Don't even think, oh, I wonder what it would be like. Or I wonder where it would go. No, no. Don't even play with it. Take every thought captive and deal with it straight away. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You ever seen a hungry lion looking for some food? That's what the devil is like. So be alert. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't play with temptation. Martin Luther said this, Temptations, of course, cannot be avoided. But because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads, there is no need we should let them rest in our hair. So just you wouldn't let a bird nest in your hair, even though it will fly around. Don't even play with temptation. Walk the other way. Go for the way out. Whatever you need to do, get away from it. Number four, get rid of anything that would tempt you to sin. So wherever you might be weak, get rid of anything that would tempt you to sin in that area. Jesus said this in in Mark chapter 9. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God than with one eye to have two with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. What's Jesus saying there? Does he mean it literally? Literally cut off hands, feet, gouge out eyes. I guess if he meant it literally, most of us would have no arms, no legs, and be blind. 
Jesus doesn't mean it literally, but listen, he does mean it seriously. If that causes you to sin, get rid of it. Make good choices in advance. Number five, don't be fooled by thinking it doesn't matter. Don't be fooled by thinking it doesn't matter. There are always consequences. A quote I heard some years ago was this. I can't remember who it was from now. Sin will always take you farther than you intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay, and cost you more than you intended to pay. Sin will always take you farther than you intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay, and cost you more than you intended to pay. Is it? Don't be fooled by thinking it won't matter. Number six, where you're vulnerable, be accountable. Where you're vulnerable, be accountable. Do you know where you're vulnerable? What are you doing about it? Don't say, it'll never happen to me. I remember a a leader's prayer meeting I went to when I was uh, first training to be a a church leader. I went to a gathering of uh, probably two or three hundred other elders and church leaders from around the country and uh, we were praying for different things that that were going on. And uh, I think it was Terry, actually, who I talked about earlier, got up at one point and uh, had to announce that a certain guy had been stood down from eldership because he'd been having an affair. And uh, Terry told something of the story uh, and uh, we, we prayed for them as a family and the church situation that was, that was affected. And then we broke into small groups. And this is my, one of my first you know, experiences of going to a church leaders prayer meeting and like hearing all this and thinking, oh gosh. And we went to small groups and uh, I remember one older pastor in this small group, so we were going to pray for this uh, terrible situation and the families involved in that. And I remember this older pastor, and uh, I remember him saying, never say it won't be you. Never say it couldn't be you. And that stuck with me. That's some, you know, I don't know, 15 years later. I remember, I remember thinking, gosh, someone like him, who I looked up to and respected and still do, think if he would say, never say it couldn't be you. Never say it's never going to be me. Always be wise. Always make good choices. Always be aware that the devil looks out like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you know where you're vulnerable, then be accountable. And then lastly, be full of the Spirit. Be full of of the Spirit. It's very easy in reading this passage to miss the first verse. If you've got your Bible open, just go back to it. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And probably the best defense against temptation is being full of the Spirit and close to Jesus. It is. And so it isn't an issue of, you need to be aware of your vulnerabilities, cover them, be accountable where you're vulnerable, make good choices, make wise choices in advance, and then look to Jesus. Because the closer you get to him, the less interesting temptation looks. 
So it isn't about going around saying, mustn't do this, mustn't do that, mustn't do the other. But rather it's about looking to Jesus, drawing close to him, allowing him to fill you with his spirit and becoming more in love with him. Because as you do that, then you'll find that other things fall away. They don't have the same draw that they may be used to because you're becoming more in love with Jesus. Stay close to Jesus and look to him. Perhaps the band could come up as we finish, please. We've talked a lot this morning about avoiding sin and what to do when temptation comes, and it will. Look out for the three biggies, money, sex and power. They often come in different guises. They're always around. James says this in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the other thing to say before we close this morning is this. God is a God of grace. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, that's great, Graham, but actually I have sinned. And I have said yes when I should have said no. And this morning, God will want you to know that his grace is sufficient. That he is here. And he is a God who loves to forgive. And loves to come to you with his grace and fill you once again. So let's stand and we're going to worship the Lord together as we close. I'm going to pray in a second. And then I'd love to pray this morning for any who of you who might feel actually yeah, I'm particularly vulnerable in an area I just want some prayer about that or maybe that you know that you have fallen into sin and you need to repent and come back to God and receive his grace afresh this morning know his forgiving love then God wants to come to you this morning let's pray and then we'll worship the Lord together and pray Lord Jesus thank you for the example that you have given us Lord Jesus thank you that you stood under the test of temptation that came to you and you remained firm. And we thank you that no test comes to us except that which is common to man and where you always provide a way out for us. And so, Father, we pray that we might know those ways out. We pray, Lord God, that we might be accountable where we're vulnerable. We pray, Lord, that we will support and encourage one another. Father, I pray for a culture of encouraging one another to be strong. And Lord, I pray that we would know your grace and forgiveness where we have failed. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. Lord, not just when we come to you to start with, but every day, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jubilee.org.uk